0: Hi, this is Robbie McGee with Reaching International and McGee Inc. And if you want to create an impactful kingdom business, you should be listening to the Eternal Entrepreneur podcast with my good friends, Joe Newton and Pierce Brantley.
1: The Eternal Entrepreneur gives you the stories and strategies to gain freedom as a Christian business leader. You'll hear from real entrepreneurs who have learned how to partner with God, From making millions to filing bankruptcy, these are honest stories to help you hear God's voice and build a lasting legacy through business.
2: Well, hello and welcome back. Thank you for joining us for episode 15 of the Eternal Entrepreneur podcast I am Pierce Brantley, along with my co-host, Joe Newton, and we could not be more excited to share with you our conversation today with Robbie McGee. Robbie is a serial entrepreneur. He is a Grammy-nominated Dove Award-winning songwriter who managed a band for the largest Christian music label of the 90s. He's also held multiple C-suite roles and led an organization with over 200 million in managed assets. Now he runs McGee Inc., a business which offers coaching to business leaders through which he advances the kingdom and helps others live out their purpose. Before we jump into the interview today, we wanna ask for you to help us out by leaving us a five-star review and sharing the podcast with a friend. And also, if you'd like to stay in touch and get a free copy of the first chapter of my book, Calling, How to Partner with God in any business, with any boss, at any place in life, then click on the link in the show notes to sign up for our weekly email or visit the Now, on to the interview.
1: Robbie McGee, welcome to the Eternal Entrepreneur podcast. Thank you. It's good to be with you guys. So, everyone listening out there, I want to let you know that Robbie is actually a special guest because if you remember back to episode, I think it was 4, we had his son Tyler on and we had an amazing conversation about legacy. And how to have that long-term view and how to pass on to the next generation. So we're so excited to have this conversation with you today, Robbie, and get the get the real perspective on all those topics. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's great because uh, I actually that was the first episode that I got to listen to and it was so amazing. I'm like, wow, those guys really did a great job. Tyler <laughs> <Holler> sounded amazing. <laughs> so how can I not do uh, the next podcast with you, there right?
1: You. So. I'll mail that 20 to you in the, uh, the thank you note. <laughs> well, hey, Robbie, tell us a little bit about your journey into entrepreneurship. We, we heard in the intro about some of the, the big mile markers that you've had, but how did you originally get into to business and entrepreneurship?
0: So it started at the age of six years old <laughs> and when I had my first paper route. So I am 57 years old. You guys may not remember this, but anybody who's in their 50s will remember that the paper wasn't always digital. We did actually have <laughs> people that uh, delivered papers. and They called them paper routes. So at an early age, like I said, I was six years old. I got my first paper route. So it was like, it was amazing to me, but it was like your own little micro business because they, they delivered the papers to my house the uh, Dallas Morning News or the Dallas Times Herald. They delivered the papers to my house, and I had to actually do inserts into the papers, and then I had to put rubber bands around the papers. If it was raining, I had to stuff them into bags. And then I had to go around my block, and I had to deliver those papers to everyone. And I had to make sure that my customers were happy. So there was a customer service component. There was an accounts uh, receivable. There was an accounts payable. And I would walk around to everybody's house in the neighborhood that has subscribed to the Dallas paper. And I would collect, have my collections every month. And uh, some of my collections got in the arrears. I would have to go back multiple times. Uh, So I definitely had receivables on the books at times and uh, had bad debts that couldn't be collected from time to time because all of a sudden they moved without paying their paper bill. And then I would have to actually go pay for the papers that got delivered to my house on a daily basis, right? So it was this very first, uh, which was amazing training ground for me, if you will. And it all started because I had something that I wanted, which was a a stereo system from Radio Shack. It was uh, $600, and it was amazing. I mean, it had speakers that were like three or four foot tall, uh, about a foot and a half wide, it had a turntable for records it had an eight track and cassette player and it had a radio as well so that was my motivator is i started into the paper business because i wanted this uh, stereo system so finally saved up enough money to get the stereo system and but i realized that there was always this at an early age i realized that i was trading my time and the value of my time i was trading that for something whether i was Playing ball in the street, whether I was at school, whether I was learning to play the piano, I was always trading my time and getting something back for it. And I realized at an early age that it was kind of cool to be able to get some cash back <laughs> for that trade for time. So, so that was really my first step into business and, and learning business. From there, I ended up uh, I ended up going through school and and did very well in school and my first venture in the business after that, I mowed yards and did different things like that. But my first real venture into business was uh, a Christian band. So it was in the the mid-80s is when I first started in this Christian band. And I ended up, I was in Arkansas at the time, and I ended up, they, they recruited me to play the piano in the band. And so that's why I went to Arkansas. After about two years, it's like everybody in the band kept, leaving because we weren't making <laughs> hardly any money at all. And so I ended up buying the band. I ended up buying all the assets of the band, which wasn't much. It was about, uh, it was about 20, about no, $30,000. And that included an old broken down bus. And uh, I went to the, the local bank and I told the guy I needed a loan. And I can't believe looking back, I can't believe you got a guy who's Who's uh twenty, I was twenty-two years old, twenty-three years old at the time. You got a guy coming in the bank and says, Yeah, I want to buy this band, I need thirty grand. And he's like, Okay. And he gave me the thirty thousand dollar loan and I took off and uh started managing the band and we signed our first record deal in Nashville and started having some great success, but I still wasn't making a lot of money. And there wasn't anyone who was doing the type of songs that we were, because we were doing sort of a pop country, Christian music. So I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to have to write some songs. And so I write, started writing songs. And the, uh, the record company said, who's your publisher? I had no idea. I didn't have a publisher and didn't really know why I needed a publisher. I just wanted to write music because we needed something to sing, right? So I, he said, well, if you don't have a publisher, he goes, you can. I'll publish your songs for you. So he published my songs for me, the project did well, and I started hearing my songs on the radio. About a year after I started hearing my songs on the radio, I started getting checks in the mail. And I'm like, wow, I was like, what are these checks for? So I called the guy and I said, hey, what am I getting these checks in the mail for? He goes, well, they have to pay you to play your songs on the radio. And I said, well, I'm like, who's getting the other 50% of this? I'm like, I'm getting half. He goes, well, your publisher does. I'm like, oh, okay. And you're my publisher, right? And he said, yeah. Now, he didn't do anything wrong. I just was ignorant of the fact that there was somebody else that was going to get a slice of this when I signed that paper, which was my first lesson about reading the contracts. Don't just sign your name, right? So that was my contract lesson. But I started uh, Robbie McGee Music shortly after he informed me that, of, uh, of the fact that the publisher got half, right? So, uh, so I started writing songs and started having pretty good success as a songwriter as well. My next lesson came from buses. I mean, buses were expensive and we were having to the old broken down bus we had at this point, we were needing a new bus. And so I decided that I would start leasing a bus from someone, which was major expensive. So we ended up, uh, I ended up going and purchasing a bus and started doing bus leasing. And I did all this stuff to supplement the income that I wasn't making necessarily from traveling on the road and singing music, but I love singing music so much. I found ways to supplement my income to allow me to do something that I was was passionate about. So I did that for a while. And like I said, started bus leasing businesses. I had my own publishing company. And, and about uh, about five years into that, I was, uh, we had been on a long tour. And at the end of summer in September, we were on the fair circuit. And I decided that I was going to go and, and take some time off, take a little bit of a vacation with my wife and I. And I went scuba diving. And I had a scuba diving accident that totally just changed the trajectory of my life and changed my life forever. I was very athletic and I was very active, and within a matter of an hour, I found myself paralyzed on a hospital bed, unable to move from the chest down. And within the first day, the doctor said, "Hey, we're going to take you down in this decompression chamber, and uh, after you know a week or so, you're going to be fine. Everything will be okay." So I went down to that decompression chamber for 54 hours and then five hours a day for two weeks. At the end of that two weeks, I was still paralyzed from the chest down. I couldn't hardly breathe. I couldn't move my fingers. Literally, the doctors looked at me and said, yeah, we don't know that you're going to be able to to walk again, sing again, play again, have kids. We're going to put you on a plane and fly you back. I was still living in Arkansas at the time. I was commuting to Nashville. And they said, we're going to... uh, you into a rehab hospital and you're going to have to start learning how to get around in a wheelchair. So that changed, that changed everything. But long story short, because I could talk for a full hour just about all the things that were going on. It was a very hard time, a very emotional time. I got angry at God because I felt like I was living for him and doing everything that he was calling me to do. And I was traveling around the country and, and at our concerts a lot of times, we'd have the opportunity to pray for people. And I'd seen God move and do great things in people's lives. But I found out that it's different when you're the one who's laying on the hospital bed. So it's not any different to God, but it's different to you. So I got a little bit upset with God after four months in the hospital and not seeing very much of a change at all. And I remember one night, I just just got angry with him. And I told him, I just told him, I said, look, I'm sick of this. I'm doing my part and you're not doing yours. And I'm not happy about it. I've prayed. I've called for the elders of the church. They've got out oil. They've anointed me with oil. I've had so many people come and and anoint me with oil. There's enough to be an oil shortage in Little Rock, Arkansas, where I was at. I mean, it was just so many people. And I loved all the people who were praying for me and everything else. But when I didn't see any change, I got got a little bit upset. So uh, I told him, you're not doing a good job at being God. And I'm going to help you out with what needs to happen. And after venting for, you know, it probably wasn't very long. I just got quiet and I expected, I wasn't sure whether I was going to hear him speak to me or whether there was a lightning bolt that was going to come down, but I was ready for either one, right? Because I was done. And in that quiet moment, God just really spoke to me and said, whatever you need to do in your life to accomplish my plan for your life, I'll make sure that, that happens. If you need to sing again, you'll sing. If you need to play again, you'll play. If you need to walk, you'll walk. If you need to have kids, you'll have kids. Everything you need to do to accomplish my plan, I'm going to make sure that happens for you. And all of a sudden, there was this overwhelming peace that came. Nothing changed physically, but emotionally and and the peace that came was something that was just inexplainable. I can't really explain how the peace came at that moment. But knowing that God was going to make sure that i I was able to do whatever I needed to do to accomplish his plan for me. That was enough. And less than a year from then, I went back on the road. I started singing again. I started playing again. Uh, my wife, Vanessa, and I had our first child, Tyler. So uh, exponentially, God just began to, to move and do different things in my life. And when Tyler was four years old, I decided, hey, I want to, uh, I want to be home. I was missing a large segment of his life. I was gone about 250 dates a year, traveled a lot, and we had two work, two uh, weeks worth of dates canceled. We were in uh, Canada, and we had two weeks worth of dates cancel. and I got to be home. I got to go to church with him. I got to take him to his Little League ball game, and I mean, it just felt right, and I decided that I was going to uh, get off the road at that point. And I was going to be to uh, begin to produce and run the bus leasing company and do some different things like that. And I was approached by the pastor of our church, and he asked me if I would consider being the uh, business operations at our church and and take care of the sort of like a COO of a church. I didn't even know churches had COOs. And uh, so I told him, asked him what it meant. And he goes, look, you just run the operational business side of the church. So I said, uh, sure. I think I would like to to do that. So for nine years I did that and, and the church grew from around 300 people to about 2,500 people. We grew from a $5 million budget to a $5 million budget, a 26 acre campus, 280,000 square foot under roof, a $16 million expansion. I mean, it was just so much stuff just over nine years was just amazing that I got to be a part of. And, um, but at, at the end of that nine years, there was a friend of mine who ran, uh, he had a company, a large company in Nashville, Tennessee. And he asked me, he said, hey, I have found out I had cancer. He goes, if something happens to me, would you make sure that this company does what I set it up to do, which is make money to fund missions? They get millions of dollars a year to missions.' And I told him that I would, little did I know, within three months, he passed away. And so they asked me to come and, and lead the organization, do a transition. They ended up asking me to stay on as the CEO of the company, which I did. And so I spent another 10 years uh, at that company, leading that company, and just saw, uh, it was amazing. I mean, we were involved in uh, uh, annuities, we were involved in commercial real estate, and we were involved in private placements and uh, uh, equity investments in the market and then bond investments as well. So. My understanding of, of business just exponentially grew during those, those 10 years. I learned a lot. And at the end of that 10 years, I had so many people coming to me and asking me about business. And I got to where I loved talking to people about business and helping them grow their business and helping them scale their business and helping them work through problems in their business. And it got to the point to where I loved that so much that I decided to uh, start. Uh, McGee Inc. coaching and consulting, which is what I do now. I've been doing that for the last five years. And I also started a foundation to help people understand what it is to have a kingdom business and to help them grow their business according to Kingdom principles. So that's uh that's sort of my journey over the last uh 40 years. Actually the last fifty fifty years, because I started at six years old, I guess. <laughs>
2: By the way, you must have had amazing taste in music as a six year old to get a stereo <laughs> like
0: that. Yeah, I did. I absolutely had amazing taste. I loved, I actually loved, I don't know who out there may know, but I actually loved the uh, more of the, the big band and the jazz. And just, I loved hearing like Miles Davis and the uh, Atlas with Ella. And I loved the jazz deal with stuff and so and but I loved country too my dad's favorite group was the Oak Ridge Boys back then so definitely developed a taste for them but my favorite band of all time is the Eagles I love the Eagles <laughs> oh yeah
1: well Robbie I- I'm curious especially since one of your first major ventures if you will was uh, owning and, and managing a Christian band how did God fit into your whole Perspective and, and operating a business, did you kind of see those as as two separate things, or did you always have a, a, a partnership with God on on every aspect of of your business? Uh,
0: that that was um, that's been a long term process for me. It was easy for me to see my my business as a ministry when it was in the context of the Christian band because we were constantly in front of the, the church or, or Christians who had come to a concert. Everybody in the band was Christian. So it was easy to see it in, in that context when it was a Christian band. Uh, when I transitioned from there to the church, it was easy to see the business operation in the context as well. Now, when I went to the nonprofit, even though the nonprofit was really for more evangelical outreach, The business and operational side was dealing with a lot of different uh, people who who weren't believers. I would say fundamentally almost everybody I dealt with at that point was a believer, or at least they knew when they worked with us, they were working with the believer. Not so when I went to the company there in Nashville. And after I'd been in the company for about eight years there in Nashville, I met someone on a trip, I was in Istanbul, Turkey, and there was a, we were on the footsteps of Paul Cruise, cruising down the Mediterranean, and it was a, a trip for my wife and I, but we met this couple, and he was all about kingdom, and he was all about kingdom business, and he began to ask me, well, how do you incorporate the kingdom of God into the business, he began, and I'm like, I don't even know what you mean by that, I didn't even have a watermark for what that meant at that point, point." and I'm like, well, I'm a Christian. And he goes, yeah, but you can be a Christian who's in business or you, a Christian businessman, or you can have a kingdom business that's all about advancing the kingdom of God through business. And so I began to develop a lens over, and it's been uh, 10 years ago, 11 years ago now. So I began to develop a lens 11 years ago about what that looked like. So it's it's been a long journey. It was easy for me to see it at first, but when I was questioned about and saw a line of delineation between just being a Christian businessman and advancing the kingdom of God through business. It really changed things. Changed for me. Well,
1: what were some of the the practical ways that that you saw it change for you?
0: I think the biggest thing with me was I no longer saw what I did at church as my ministry. Mm-hmm. And what I did at work as just something secular that you did in order to get to do your ministry, yeah, I began to see my entire life as sacred and realized that God had placed me in a position Monday through Saturday to minister to people, and it was just as important that I steward that as it was for a pastor to steward what he did in the church. Mm.
2: Robbie, I'm curious, is there a particular story or a particular moment when you started kind of walking in that, that it started to feel real or you're like, oh, there, I can see this playing out because I think the aspirations of so many entrepreneurs are to kind of want to live from that. But aside from getting a a, a little fish logo from Fiverr, and uh, and advertising their faith, the desire is there, but the implementation, the standard operating procedure for going about kingdom business, is kind of like a manual they don't know how to kind of grasp a hold of. So I'm curious if there's any kind of times in your own life where that kind of you were like, "Oh, this is," I see how this plays out.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I, I got I have so many, and it really happened through the the legal systems. Okay, so when I went to the, the corporation there in Nashville, we were involved in multiple, multiple lawsuits, right? I mean, it was just, the guy had a good heart, but he he wanted to know where the, the line was, not to where he could stay behind the line, but where he would just know when he crossed over the line of what was legal and not legal. And that way he could do it intentionally. So he, he kind of believed the ends justified the means, right? So if I do something over here that may not be exactly right, but lot of people are going to get saved, then there's a little, maybe it's okay. So there was a lot of different dynamics like that, that were going on. But what I realized that in our culture, not everything that's legal is right. And that was one of the first things that God began to teach me is just because it's legal and just because it's acceptable within the culture doesn't mean it's right. And, And I've got so many examples of that, but there was, there was one specific where I had went out and I'd gotten a trademark. I'd gone through the the proper systems. I'd done everything that I needed to do. And I had from the United States Patent and Trademark Office, I had the document that said I owned the trademark, right? Well, about two years into owning this trademark, I'd invested a lot of money and a lot of time. And there was a lady who surfaced and she applied for a trademark using our name and I denied it cuz the trademark asks us to do you are you okay with this person using this name even if it's in a different uh segment if you will and I said I'm not okay with it well when I said I wasn't okay with it she got an attorney I didn't really know that she had been using the name for 10 years before I got the name so she hired an attorney I hired an attorney they started talking. Well, during the discovery phase, I realized that even though I had a legal right to it, I didn't necessarily, that wasn't necessarily the right thing for me to do was to keep the name that she had built 10 years before I actually decided that I was going to get the trademark for it. She wasn't uh, necessarily real business savvy. She didn't understand that she needed to get a trademark. So at that point, what was the right thing to do? I looked at my trademark attorney and I said, give her the trademark. He said, what? He said, this is yours. And I said, give her the trademark. And he goes, you don't legally have to do that. I said, I know I don't legally have to. I said, but that's the right thing to do. And so we gave her the trademark, which meant that now I had to go choose a new name and rebrand everything that we had done. And it cost quite a bit of money to make that happen. But at the end of the day, that was the right thing to do. So. There were a lot of things contractually as I began to navigate through business that I understood we had a legally binding contract to do something. But if you looked in it, if you looked at it through the lens of scripture and said what's the right thing to do, not just the legal thing to do, a lot of times it would cause me to make a different decision.
1: I'm curious, was that process for you? Was that Something that you specifically heard during prayer, like, hey, I need to give this to her? Or was that just you on your heart? You felt like with, with the integrity of and looking at the situation?
0: It kind of came through what I would call a I don't know, can you can you call it a Holy Spirit paddling? <laughs> 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 nudge.
1: So, we we call that a nudge. Yeah. <laughs> a nudge. All
0: right. When I was growing up it was a whooping, but nudge is fine, right? So I I was actually in this conflict with her and I thought in all of my in all of my eloquence and business prowess I was going to fly up and meet her and help her explain why she needed to go away basically is what I was going to do so I went up there and I I sat down with her and when I began to listen to her talk so my my goal in going up there was to make her go away. But when I got up there and I began to listen to her talk and she began to share her heart and she began to share what she had been doing over 10 years and she began to share all those different things. It was like the Holy Spirit said, you need to do, you need to do the right thing here. And so it was, it was definitely one of those, one of, it was definitely one of those moments to me when, because I didn't to be honest with you, it wasn't like I was praying about, Holy Spirit, what should I do in this instance? It was me working things out on my own, just like anybody else would in business, not necessarily including Him and inquiring of what should I do, not what I have the legal right to do, what should I do? And so that That really, that moment that was in uh, around 2006, that really changed a lot for me because I began to inquire of the Lord and, and I got my top 10 prayer list and I disseminated it to my employees. And I said, here's what we're praying for. And here's what we're believing God for. And here's what we need God to answer for us. And it really became, they coined the term sort of partnering with God in business. I didn't really know that that was what I would call it back then, but that was the the entry point for me, if you will, into truly partnering with God and saying what I do here. And there were a couple of times where we had a we had a because we dealt with insurance, right, and annuities, and we dealt with a lot of senior adult. And there was uh, there was a couple of times where it was because we're dealing with millions of dollars, right? We're not dealing with a hundred dollars here or ten thousand dollars there, and. I remember there was one time where they were saying this is going to be catastrophic for the company and you need to get a PR firm and you need to do this and you need to make this announcement on this date. This is all stuff you need to do. And I just remember the prompting of the Holy Spirit said, don't do that. Do this on this date." Uh, and and I'm, I'm being a little bit vague because there's some confidentiality there. But, but I said, I went back to them So I have these attorneys, I have these PR firms, I have them all. And they're saying, this is what you need to do. And I'm like, I just don't feel like that's what I need to do. I said, can I not do it on this day? They're like, you can, but we don't advise. And I'm like, I understand, but I just really sense that's what we're supposed to do. And so they said, well, you're, you're paying the bills. So whatever you want us to do, we'll do it. So they did it. We made it through. We never had, we got our full retainer back from the PR firm because there was never a negative word said, and we were never mentioned in the newspapers. We, nothing, nothing ever came of that. And it all happened because of the day we decided to do it on and what, and the way we decided to do it.
1: Well, I, I think it's interesting hearing both those last couple of stories because you, use the wisdom of, of counsel. The Bible says, like, seek wise counsel. So you're bringing in the professionals, you're bringing in the, the wise counsel of, of the world, I guess, if you will. But then you're also choosing to, to listen to his prompting, spanking, etc. cetera. Uh, and I think that's an interesting balance that, that we all, especially business owners, come up against is, how do I get wise counsel? How do I have a, a good idea and then how do I balance that with living by the spirit? And, yeah. and I, I'd be curious if you, if you had any other input or examples or kind of wisdom on, on how you, you walk that out.
0: So I think the main thing with me is you have to, you have to be intentional. You have to be intentional about it because we, and I'll speak for myself. I'm a fairly motivated individual and I'm really, when i want something i will aggressively go after it to to make it happen right and a lot of times i can do that in my own in my own wisdom in my own power and leave god out of the equation and it's not intentional it's not like i say god i've got this i don't need you today if if i come across something that i think i need you with i'll let you know it's so there's there it isn't intentionally that i think i have all this great wisdom and everything else but a lot of it is, is um, it's hard to, at least it was for me, it was hard for me to get out of the habits and routines that I had developed over 45 years of my life and all of a sudden include this ministry partner, if you will, right? So all of a sudden, I've got a partner here that is not something tangible who's sitting next to you. He's not calling you on your cell phone. He's not text messaging you. You're not sitting down and having face-to-face meetings. It's this this spirit, right? It's very it's very real. But people, I think it's easier when you see things in front of you in front of you and they're material and they're tangible and they're there and they're in your face and there's this true interaction and it's not something. That happens spirit to spirit. It's something that happens flesh to flesh, right? So we're used to these flesh to flesh connections, but that spirit to spirit connection, that's got to be developed. And I don't think we spend a lot of time developing that relationship and developing that sensitivity to that relationship. So I've had to be over the years a lot more intentional about asking God. I'm I'm, I'm very I'm very good with setting up systems and processes and strategic plans and everything else. And one of the things that I did is I I put two reminders on my phone. And Joe, you may have heard me say this before, but I have one reminder that comes up at 930 and it says, what are you thankful for? Because every day I want to, I'm so thankful for all of the things that God has done for me. And every day I wanted to be reminded that I need to, to have a, a spirit of thankfulness and an attitude of thankfulness about me. And the second thing that happens at 2.30 in the afternoon is another reminder comes up and it says, have you asked God about it? And so I want to, every day, I want something that pops up that says, have you asked God about it? And so in that moment, whatever I'm doing, I'm forced with the, have I asked God about what I'm thinking about? Have I asked God about doing, or have I done anything from the time I woke up this morning till right now that that I should have asked God about that I haven't asked God about. So that really helped me. I started that years ago and that really helped me on that journey of now it's, it's more natural for me to not necessarily. So when the reminder comes up now, have you asked God about it? Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I did. And if it says, are you thankful? It says, I absolutely am. And if you're with me, when that reminder comes up on my phone, I immediately say, hey, tell me what you're thankful about. So it's, it's kind of a cool thing. So it doesn't matter if I'm with a believer, a non-believer, whatever, whoever I'm with, if I'm at a restaurant, right? And there's a, there's a waiter or a waitress or whatever, if whatever it comes up, I'm like, Hey, what are you thankful for? And they'll look at me like, what? And I'll say, well, you know, I said, I just want to remind myself to be thankful every day. So I've got a reminder on my phone that asks me what I'm thankful for. So I said, so what are you thankful for? And they're like, well, I don't know. What are you thankful for? And I can tell them, and which leads to great opportunities, right? Uh, I'm thankful for to be here. I'm thankful that I got to meet you. I'm thankful for the food that I'm eating today. And I just the reason that it's on there is is I just always want to be thankful to God for everything that He's blessed me with. So it's just that point of connection that I get to tell them my thankfulness is all about what uh, God uh, is goodness in my life, and so it leads to some interesting conversations.
1: Man, I I like that that practical, I can put, a, put action to it kind of things that, that help lead you to God. Because I think like anything, it's, it's that consistency too. Like you said, if you're consistently intentional with anything, the more you practice it, the more it's, it's going to, to grow. And I'm assuming probably in your, your own life, the more that you've consistently asked that thankfulness question, you're, you're probably a lot better at thankfulness now than you uh, were when you first put it on there.
0: Oh, there, there's absolutely no doubt. And the funny thing about it is, is I get two responses, right? So some people are like, I can't believe that you have to put a reminder on your phone to be thankful and ask God about things. And I just look at him. I'm like, he's so important in my life. How could I not make an appointment with him every day? You know, so uh, and when you put it in that context, they're like, oh, yeah, you do make appointments for things that are important. And I'm like, it's important for me to be thankful and it's important for me to acquire the Lord. And I said, those, those aren't the only times I do it. But it's a reminder at that moment, every day, I have a appointment with God to say, thank you. And what do you think about this?
1: That's so good. So Robbie, I'm I'm curious, since you work with quite a few people with through your coaching business, where do you usually start with them when you first start working with them? Is it always a, how do we bring God into this more intentionally? Or is it a 100% business and then God kind of sneaks in there? What where, where do you usually start when you're, you're first starting to dig in with someone?
0: Uh, when we start to dig in, it's primarily I, I ask them, you know, what would you like to get out of coaching? So some of them will tell me right up front, they just go into business and what they want out of business. Some of them will tell me that they want business, but they want a spiritual component to it as well. So there isn't necessarily a one one size fits all, but when I ask them the question, that that leads the next that leads the conversation and to how the coaching unfolds from there but i will tell you that 100% of the people that i end up working with whether they ask for it or not it always ends up being i would say 30 to 40% business and then the spiritual component is another say 20 to 30%, and then family is another 20 to 30% in relationships. It just always ends up that way. That's been my experience. And almost everybody, there are some people that I work with that, that aren't necessarily believers, but most of the people that I work with are believers. But I let everybody know that, hey, if you want to work with me, I have to tell you that my worldview and the principles that I talk about and everything foundationally that you're going to get from me is from a biblical foundational perspective, and if you need to be okay with that, because that's going to permeate everything else that we do. And there's been some people that it just wasn't a good fit and it didn't work out with. And there are some who are like, well, that's that's okay.
2: Robbie, I'm curious that that's such a bold thing to do. I feel like, and maybe you've rested in it for for a while. But how did you kind of come to a point where I always see it as like a, a personal principle? I think we can all learn from that. But how did you kind of come to a point in your own life where you're like, this is what Robbie McGee does when he decides to vet a client or something like that? This is a principle that he just is just a part of your business makeup or, or your, your personal decisions. What, what made you come to that decision?
0: uh it was It was a, a scriptural moment for me because I realized the the Bible there's that scripture that says that the scripture is foolishness to those who don't believe. So I remember having conversations with people, and there was there was little to no connection within the conversation because I was approaching everything from my foundational belief from scripture but they weren't and they didn't have they didn't have the same found they weren't coming from the same foundational experience that I were I was so it didn't make sense to them so i began to realize that if i'm going to have a productive conversation with someone and they're seeking counsel from me whether it's uh Paid counsel, unpaid counsel, friendship. Somebody introduces me to them and says, you need to meet my friend, Robbie, and we have no relational equity with each other, and we don't really know each other. People introduce me to people all the time, and I don't have any watermark for whether or not they're a believer, right? So I realized that it wasn't fair to the relationship or the context of the relationship if I didn't let them know that. Everything in my life stems from a biblical worldview. And that's the way that that's the lens that I view the world through. And letting them know that up front and then letting them decide whether or not they're okay with that. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't dictate whether or not I'm going to have conversations with them if they're an unbeliever or a believer. I'll have conversations with anybody God leads me to have a conversation with, right? But it does. Determine whether or not they want to have a conversation with me as a believer. So it throws the ball back into their court because otherwise the it could be unproductive for them because it doesn't make sense the the worldview I'm coming from. So so that was where it that was where it started. Just from a global view, as far as just my coaching and consulting business, it it really stemmed from. I was going to go after clients and I started putting together, this is how I'm going to market. This is how I'm going to get people. I'm going to put this out there. And it goes back to, I just felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me, I'll bring you people. You don't have to. Now, that's not a business model I I project on everyone or would recommend to everyone, right? That was for specifically for me. And that's why it's so important to, to really listen to the Holy Spirit. Because if the Holy Spirit hadn't told me that and I didn't go after clients because I'm like, I'm waiting on them because I heard somebody else say they were waiting on God to bring them clients and God brought them clients. I'm going to wait on God to bring me clients. Well, you know what? God's word for them doesn't mean it's God's word for me. Right. So that's why it's really important to partner with the Holy Spirit and inquire of him how he would have you to go about getting clients. And for me, God was like, I'm going to bring you people and I'm going to bring you people through relationship and I'm going to bring you people just through that I, that I lead across your path. But I'm going to bring them to you. You're not going to have to go find them.
2: Robbie, I, I love that principle so much. The, just the whole idea of intimacy being almost a business tool. So like, I, I think in the kingdom, it's counterintuitive, but I think intimacy leads to innovation. So if you are in relationship with the Holy Spirit, you're constantly seeking out the Lord for yourself, that's going to lead towards a type of innovation, meaning the way in which you approach how you go about doing your day that you wouldn't have otherwise gotten except for through that relationship. And oftentimes in the world, it's the opposite. We kind of think that I need to go and figure out a business model, business system, a a construct and in doing that, that's going to bring me the relationships I want or the business act that I want. And you're right. I think it is different for every single person. Uh, but that underlying principle of seeking the Lord first for your business is super, super important. And I just love the way you've articulated it because it's such a pure example.
0: So one of the things God really helped me with was what I call uh, framework versus formula. So in business, we want a formula for everything or really our culture want a formula for everything, right? 10 steps to a great marriage, 10 steps to building a strategic plan, 10 steps to the greatest marketing funnel that you've ever created, 10 steps to losing weight. I mean, we want 10 steps or five steps or as few steps as we can get to everything successful, right? And, and God really began to challenge me because what I would do is when I would want to do something, I'm like, well, I just went out and I found somebody else's formula. And and God really said, look, I don't do things based upon formula. I do things based upon a framework. And if you want to look at a framework or if you want to look at a formula, but then allow me to actually be your framework and help you build the formula for you inside of a framework, which is research and and development and everything else, but then partnering with me and taking all of those formulas and building a framework that doesn't look like somebody else's. So I, th- I think it's fine to look at formulas, but we need to look at a formula as a framework in something God wants us to build.
2: That's so powerful. I love that. And I think that's even just for our listeners, a great first principle, which is go ahead and it's okay to seek out processes. It's okay to seek out seek out systems, but just as a, as a starting point, Bring him to the Lord, and he always is going to be able to see around the bend more clearly. For those who are kind of the Bible nerds, I love like you look at like the story of Gideon, and Gideon's MO was, All right, you want me to be a, like a, an army general? I'm going to go and build out this big army. And the Lord's like, I didn't ask you to go build out a big army. I asked you to be a general of my army, and that's going to look a little bit different. Or Joseph, when he's like, Hey, I'm going to give you divine revelation about how to administer and and oversee a famine. And I all right, well, that's gonna look like, hey Pharaoh, we're gonna need to go and like go get all this grain and and seven years of planning in order to help nations. And there's ways of approaching things that are like, well, I'm just gonna pick this out of my my e myth bag or my business acumen bag, but the Lord has a better approach. Always, always, always. And I just it's such an encouragement to to hear your approach. I love the I love the framework uh, idea. That's great.
1: Yeah. Very cool. Well I hate to jump in, but we are nearing the uh, end of our time and I want to make sure we get our final five questions in, Robbie. So I'm going to switch gears and our final five minutes, we have our final five questions for you and uh, we're going to jump into those. So, All right. There won't Robbie, be a test. It's not a test, is it? It is. It is a <laughs> test, actually. Yeah. It's a, it's a pop quiz. <laughs> this is that bad dream you've been having. I think you're going to do okay. I, I believe in you. All right. <laughs> So question number one, what are the three top must-read books, not including the Bible, and these can be business, family, spiritual, even cookbook? Okay,
0: so um, one of my top books is "Is Search for Significance. It's a book by Robert S. McGee, and it's uh, no, no, relation no, relation. <laughs> no relation to me, no relation to me, but it's, it's a book that I read early on, and it really deals with identity. And I think until someone realizes their identity in Christ and their, their son or uh, they're a son or a daughter or an heir, I mean, until they realize who they are in Christ, I don't think they can ever truly be successful in advancing the kingdom of God through business until they realize their, their value and how valuable they are and what they're worth in Christ, regardless. Of anything else that goes on, so search for significance would be one of them. The uh, the other book is a book by Bob Bodine that I recommend all the time. It's a book called Two Chairs, and it's uh, the the whole premise of the the book is that in the morning, if you were to set a, if you knew there was a one percent chance of God meeting with you, would you set up a chair across from you? and spend 30 minutes having a conversation with God if you felt like he would talk to you. So it's just this real practical book about how to begin to have conversation and hear the voice of God if you're not familiar with that. Because there's a lot of people I work with that it's sort of foreign language to them. It's like, well, wait a minute, how do I hear from God? Is he going to audibly talk to me? And, uh, you know, I could go into all the 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 ways that that god does speak to us but that's a great entry point uh is for the the two chairs and the uh the other book that i was going to recommend is uh it's by the the keller williams guy and i've done a whole thing on it and gary the keller? name of the gary keller and it's talking about uh the it's talking about focus the one thing the one thing yeah so gary keller and the one thing is a great book about how to not get distracted. One of the greatest challenges I see with entrepreneurs is they get distracted with all of these different things and they don't they don't develop the foundational focus in order to be healthy before they branch out into other areas. So that's a really good book.
1: I feel like that's a podcast in and of itself. We'll have to uh, bring you back to that topic there. Those are three great books. Question number two. You can send a note card back to yourself when you're first starting off on your entrepreneurial journey. What are the three pieces of advice you're putting on that note card?
0: It's going to take longer than you think. It's going to cost more than you think. And cash flow is going to take longer than you think.
1: What was that last part?
0: Cash flow is cash going flow. to take longer <laughs> than you
1: think. Now, is this specifically going to that six year old self or is this going a couple of years later?
0: this basically goes to me every time i start anything <laughs> i have to remind myself i mean it's been one of those things to where we can have all these great ideas and we think wow this is i'm going to start i'm going to launch this and it's going to be awesome day 1 or i'm going to launch this and uh, all of a sudden the the cash flow uh going to start or i've allocated x amount of dollars and that should be enough to get me going i've just found out that now i've gotten much better at it but if I could look at myself and say something, it's always to be realistic on your, your launch time frame, be realistic on the amount of money that it's going to cost to get something started, and then be realistic on the time frame that it's going to take to generate the cash flow.
1: That's good. I feel like you need to write a book just called Double It. Whatever you're thinking in all these areas, <laughs> just go ahead and double it. <laughs> Question number three, how do you define success for yourself?
0: It's accomplishing those things that God calls you to accomplish. He's called us all to accomplish something different, right? So, is everybody going to create this billion-dollar business? No. Uh, there are some people who aren't entrepreneurs, and they are called to to work and support somebody else. That is success, right? So, God created every one of us uniquely. He designed us uniquely. He gave us all different gifts and talents, and He gave us all a different calling. Success means that you realize that and you do what God called you to do. Because if, if if I spend all this time doing something other than what God called me to do and everybody else looks at me and says, I'm successful, but God said, no, I wanted you to do this. And if you would have done this, more people would have come to the kingdom, right? So it's figuring out what God called you to do and success is doing it with
1: passion. That's awesome. I love it. Question number four. When times have gotten tough, what's kept you from quitting?
0: My wife. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the honesty here. I love that. <laughs> Go to work, boy. <laughs> <laughs> no, in, in all seriousness, my wife is, uh, she's, a, she's an encourager and she she's always praying for me. She's a great helpmate. She believes in me. So anytime, anytime Something has gotten rough. My wife has always been, you can do this. We can do this together. I believe in you. We're going to pray. Mm-hmm. And God's got this. So it, it's, it's just that's, that's her motivation and her encouragement when I've gone through tough times is, is really the thing that has kept me going because it, it, it allowed me, everybody needs somebody to believe in them, right? Everybody needs somebody to champion them. And everybody needs someone to say, I know it's rough. But you can do this, and we're going to do it together. And I'm praying for you, and I'm believing God with you. And not only that, there were there's times where it's like, you know what? I'm I'm praying, and and God showed me that He's going to give you this wisdom, and we're going to get through this. And so, my wife,
1: Amen. A, a good wife is is worth her weight in gold, probably more.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely.
1: All right, Robbie. Question number five. What question should we have asked that we didn't? Hmm. Wow.
0: I've <laughs> never, I have never been asked that. I've never been asked that question before. So uh, I, I got nothing. <laughs> you know, so so here, here's what you should have asked me. When you don't know the answer to something, what should you do? You should just <laughs> be honest and say, I got nothing. I don't know. Never be ashamed to say, I got nothing and I don't know. So to that last question, I got nothing. I don't know, which means you guys did an incredible job.
1: See, you pulled one out there. You gave us the question and you answered it. <laughs> I, I, I'm impressed. <laughs> well, Rafi, thank you so much for taking your time, sharing your your wisdom and experience with us. For those who are listening, who want to learn more about what you're doing with the the coaching, the groups? How how can people connect with you and and find out more about what you're doing?
0: So they can go to uh, mcgeeinc.com. That's dot ccom Or they can go to kingdomemergence.com. And Kingdom Emergence tells them about the business groups we do through the nonprofit. And then McGee Inc. is my coaching and consulting.
1: Awesome. And word on the street is, just to make sure you get a good plug in there. There's another awesome podcast out there that all of our listeners need to take some time and download. Can you possibly tell us about that, Robbie?
0: It is the uh, uh, the Kingdom Emergence podcast. So uh, all I got to do is go to uh, iTunes and go to the Kingdom Business podcast. Is that it? <laughs> that's it. That's the name that's of it. my podcast?
1: <laughs>
0: no, it's not. I think it's the Kingdom Emergence. Emergence Kingdom podcast. It's terrible that I don't even know the name of our podcast. So Tyler named the podcast, but uh, yeah, I got nothing right now. On the- See there, there again, you've uh, you've caught me at a moment. I'm looking on my phone trying to find the name of our podcast, Kingdom Emergence podcast.
1: There you go. If, uh, if, if y'all uh, if y'all look up Kingdom Emergence or Emergence podcast, you're bound to find it on there. Uh, we'll also it's put terrible a that
0: I don't know the name of my podcast. <laughs>
1: well it's new it just came out but we'll put a link in the the information below so that all y'all can go check out that because if you enjoy our content you're 100% going to enjoy theirs here
0: it is the Emergent Business Podcast boom
1: (laughs) (laughs) well with that we're gonna let you go thank you so much for joining us and everyone listening we'll see you next time Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this show, please leave us a five-star review and share this with a friend. It would help us out tremendously. Also, if you'd like to stay in touch and get a free copy of the first chapter of Pierce's new book, Calling, How to Partner with God in Any Business, with Any Boss, at Any Place in Life, then click on the link in the show notes to sign up for our weekly email or visit piercebrantley.com dot co slash podcast. Thanks again. And we'll see you next week.